Hello, it's good to be with you again. I want to share with you a true story of a most amazing little girl. Her name is Mary Jones, and she was born on the 16th of December, 1784. Her father was a weaver in Wales, and they were a very poor family, and they couldn't afford shoes for Mary. And she lived in a little cottage at the foot of a big mountain. And at the age of eight, she gave her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, and she had a burning desire to own a Bible of her own in her own language, in the Welsh language. Um, but actually, the nearest Bible, which wasn't for sale, was on a farm two miles away. And the nearest one that was for sale was 25 miles away. And so Mary saved and she did lots of extra jobs. And finally, at the age of um, 16 in 1800, Mary walked the 25 miles from her village um, to a place called Bala, which was 25 miles away, barefoot. I mean, that's amazing. And when she arrived there, there was a lovely gentleman called the Reverend Charles. And he had um, Bibles there, but sadly, um, he had to tell her that they were either all sold or they had been reserved. Mary was utterly, utterly distressed about this. And because she was so distressed, the Reverend Charles did sell her one of the Bibles that had been promised to somebody else. And Mary died at the age of 82, and they erected a monument to her in her village. And the inscription was in Welsh and English, and I'd like to read that to you. To the remembrance of Mary Jones, who, in 1800, at the age of 16, walked from here to Bala in order to buy a Bible from the Reverend Charles in the Welsh language. And this bit, this even was the cause of the foundation of the British and Foreign Bible Society. So one young girl's passion for the Bible actually started off the, foreign, um, the British and Foreign Bible Society. Now why was this young teenager willing to walk 25 miles to buy a Bible in her own language? It's because she highly valued the Word of God. She had this hunger for it. And you see, God commands us to um, eat his word and we can only get his word inside us if we eat it and it's not going to do us any good unless we eat it for instance here is my cereal so um, it's it's an illustration of the word and so I have my Bible I open my Bible and I read it kind of casually and it's like doing this you see so this is I can keep piling it on my head does it do me any good? No, because I'm not eating it. I think I'll take this off. Oops. And so this is the illustration I showed the children, that unless they really get the word of God into their hearts, it's like putting it on top of their heads. And so it's not going to do me any good unless I actually put it in my mouth and I chew it. And, you know, we're not going to eat it, as it were, unless we value it. What causes us to value food? To know that it does us good. And um, I've been very lax with my diet, and uh, fiber wasn't the top of my priorities. And it wasn't until I met somebody who said that fiber is like a broom and it sweeps you clean inside, and you absolutely need it for your good health. And that's when I began to eat fiber because I knew that it would do me good. When we eat the word of God, it does us good. 
um, and also because God commands us to eat it. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. And here Jesus is speaking. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And also we see here Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Here we see that it does us good, even as I learned that fiber would do my body good by sweeping me clean on the inside. So we realize that the word of God is God-breathed, and it does us good. And so um, in church, we have a Bible confession. And I tell the children to hold their Bibles and to hold it to their heart. And we say, this is my Bible, God's holy word. God is who he says he is. God will do what he says he will do. I am who God says I am. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. And every time we come to our Bibles, we make that confession. Because I want to help them to value the word of God. And so, just for an instance... I just want to take you back. When I go shopping in Sainsbury's, you think, what on earth has this got to do with eating the food? Well, Sainsbury's bake their own bread, as, as a lot of these big stores do. And I, all I have to do is to smell that bread cooking, as it were, and my mouth begins to water, and I suddenly have a tremendous hunger for that bread. And, and I would think, oh, I've, I've just got to have it. I've just got to have it. Now, is there a... Um, a smell that does that for you. Some people, when I asked the children, they said, oh, the smell of sausages cooking, the smell of bacon cooking, um, and all sorts of, oh, the smell of chocolate. And so, is there something that really, really, really makes you feel, I've just got to have it? And my prayer is that as, we finish, as I finish sharing this, that there will be such a hunger and thirst in your heart for the word of God. And so, you see, the Bible is such an amazing, wonderful, wonderful treasure. But it's easy to forget. We can take it for granted. Um, I've taken it for granted uh, to have a Bible in my own language. But, you know, it's not always been so. There were a group of people um, who lived you know, maybe several hundred years apart, but they were called the Reformers. And they so valued the Word of God, they were prepared to die for it. And you think, why would people die um, to have a Bible in their own language? Well, to help us to appreciate uh, something of the great value, it helps to understand the sacrifice that others have made to bring it to us. Let's take a look at some of the history of the Bible. It's, it's a very uh, amazing history. In England, men and women fought for the right to read their Bibles in their own language. They wanted to make the Bible available in English to everybody. And one such man was a man called William Tyndale. And actually, he was burned at the stake for that very thing, for translating the Bible from the, from the Latin and the Greek into English. And that was during Henry VIII's reign. And um, his last words as he was dying in the fire was, Lord, Please open the eyes of the king. And God answered this prayer because before Henry VIII died, 
the Bible was um, available in churches in English. Now, um, there was the famous chain Bible, and the reason it was called the chain Bible was because it was so valuable that people would want to steal it and take it to their own homes and read it that they chained it to the lectern. And then there's another marvelous man called John Wycliffe who actually lived before William Tyndale. And he was an Oxford professor and a scholar and a theologian. He was well known throughout Europe uh, for his views that were totally against the established church at that time, that the Bible should be made available to everyone um, in English, in their own language. And he produced um, the first handwritten manuscripts of the Bible, uh, and that was in the 1380s. And he had helpers, and they were called the Lollards, and they would write out by hand um, the scriptures, the, I mean, the whole Bible. But the established church at that time felt very threatened um, by what was going on because they were afraid to lose its power over the people because they had taught them that there was a place called purgatory. By the way, there's no such place as a purgatory. That is man-made. It's not in the Bible. Um, and they would sell indulgences, which people who had lost their dear ones would pay for these, and it would shorten the time of their dear ones in the place of purgatory. And this tormented people for years and years and years. And so when people were able to read the Bible in their own language, they would see that there was no place called purgatory, and thus the church at that time would lose a lot of its income. And so you see, the Bible teaches a salvation through faith, not of works, not of donations. But do you know, even 44 years after Wycliffe um, had died, uh, the Pope at that particular time ordered Wycliffe's bones to be dug up, they were to be crushed and scattered in a river. However, one of Wycliffe's followers, who were um, a lovely man called Jan Hus, um, he had actively promoted Wycliffe's um, views that people should be permitted to read the Bible in their own language. And he was burned at the stake in 1415. And actually, Wycliffe's handwritten manuscripts were used to kindle the fire. Jan Hus' last words were, in 100 years, God will raise up a man whose calls for reform cannot be suppressed. Almost to the, to the year, 100 years later, um, Martin Luther, um, in 1517, nailed his famous, um, there were 95 theses of contention onto a church door at uh, Wittenberg. And so the prophecy of Jan Hus was totally fulfilled. Martin Luther actually was the first man to print the Bible in, German, in the German language. And at the time, at the same year, 1517, did you know that in England, seven people were burnt at the stake for the crime, their crime was teaching their children to say the Lord's Prayer in English. Amazing, isn't it? Um, and you see, we are reaping where other people have sown in sacrifice. People laid their lives down for us to have this most amazing book in English. Isn't it amazing privilege? I do pray that we will value it more and more when we see the suffering that went, people went through to ensure that we could read the Bible, God's word, in our own language. And it was a fierce, fierce battle. Many, many, many people lost their lives. But they were willing to do so 
You see, I believe that God wants to inspire in us a fresh and a new ability to all his people to love the book, to love the Bible. You see, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Um, where is your treasure? I had to ask myself, where is my treasure? What do I spend time doing most? You know, many of us can fall asleep when we're reading the Word of God. It's quite amazing, but it happens to a lot of people. And many do find it difficult to read the Word. But God wants to teach us how to take hold of his word and to, he wants us to establish his word as the absolute bedrock of our lives. You see, the enemy will come along and say, you're a failure, call yourself a Christian, you don't even know what the Bible says because you don't even read it. But God does not accuse, he only reveals to heal. And I'm sharing all this with you. I don't want to condemn, I just want to encourage you and inspire you to see that the, the history of the Bible and how precious it is. But you know, I've discovered something absolutely amazing. I don't know if you discovered this about yourself, but I've discovered that what I really, really, really want to do, I will actually do it. And we read the Bible by faith. You see, the Bible um, has within itself the power to bring itself to pass. And so believing in that power to transform us from the inside out. That's why we read the Word of God. And you see, um, I think one of the good illustrations of how we change from the inside out is microwave cooking. It cooks from the inside out. And when you come to your Bible, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Dear Holy Spirit, please speak to me. You are my teacher. And then open yourself. Be, just be open to the Lord. And you know, you can read a scripture and it's like it comes alive. There's this feeling deep inside you that this is for me. This is God speaking to me. This is God's rhema for me today. And God's word is full of his life. You know how seeds, um, if I had mustard seeds, they would be full of the life of mustard seeds. But I have to plant them and I have to water them. And God's word, we take it like a seed and we plant it in our heart. And the Bible in 2 Timothy, you know, which we read before, it says that it's, um, all scripture is God-breathed, God-inspired, God-breathed. Now, for instance, um, with, this, um, with this balloon, um, it may seem elementary to you, but this is full of, my breath. It's come out of the very depths of my being and there's part of me inside this balloon. I'm going to let go because it also gives it power. And so God's life is in his word. If you're feeling tired, tired you say, the Lord is the strength of my life. As you say it, power will rise up within you and you will be amazed at the strength that you do have. The word of God is also an anchor for our souls. Our souls is the, where the emotions are, where the mind is, where the will is. It's all those emotions. And it's, it's when we go through storms in life, it's the word of God that will hold us absolutely safe 
and steady. Without it, we're blown around, asking this person's opinion, that person's opinion. But when we have the word of God inside us, it will hold us really very safe. I just wanted to share a testimony with you. A lovely lady called Mrs. Traub. I first heard this in 1982. And um, she was, she taped her testimony and she'd actually died from gangrene. Gangrene had spread right throughout her body, but she was in a coma for some time and she could hear people um, speaking who had come to visit her. And uh, there were two sets of visitors that would come. There were um, these ladies who would come and quite amazingly um, would discuss about her husband after she died marrying someone else. And uh, she would feel very upset and anxious. She could hear them, but nothing was registering on the outside, so they sadly continued. But there was a little man whom she'd always despised in her church. She thought he was a nothing, an absolute nothing. And he would come and he would read scripture to her. And one of the scriptures was, I will not die, but I shall live and proclaim the goodness of the Lord in the great congregation. And she said it was an anchor to her soul. She longed and loved for that man to come and read the scriptures to her. Well, she died. And um, they made out the death certificate and they'd covered her body um, with, a, with a sheet. And she remembers ascending up into heaven and she saw the Lord Jesus Christ and he said, no, you need to go back. And as with everyone who goes, um, who goes to heaven, they don't want to come back. But he said, no, you have a work to do. And she remembers coming, coming back. Um, as she came back, um, she saw the, the milkman um, doing his milk rounds. And she said she had been a very arrogant person. And anyone who she thought was intellectually lower than her, she didn't want anything to do with. And she said God had so changed her in those, that time, that short time in heaven, that she saw this man and an overwhelming love flowed out of her for this man anyway. So uh, she came, as it were, her spirit came back into the hospital, she said, through the window and then into her body. And she sat up and the poor nurse screamed. I mean, she was terrified, rushed out of the room. Anyway, they sent doctors and, and they'd said to the nurse, she mustn't have anything to eat, she has no plumbing inside, it would be highly dangerous, we've removed most of her intestines and, and we've removed her womb, they've just practically removed everything because of the gangrene. Well anyway, there was a little nurse um, who got the, the rooms mixed up and she brought to Mrs. Traub, because Mrs. Traub hadn't eaten for, for I think like two or three months. Um, and she came in with a most amazing lunch with soup, with steak, with potato, every fries, everything that she loved. So she, she woofed it down. And then the little nurse found out her mistake and said, you can't, you can't, you can't have eaten it. And she said, but I have. And her plumbing was fantastic. They also told her she'd never, never have children because she didn't have a womb. Well, um, I think a year later she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, you know, God is an amazing God. His word is true. And she said that that scripture, I will not die but live and proclaim the goodness of the Lord in the great congregation was an anchor for her soul. It was powerful in her life. And you see, God wants his word to be the foundation for our lives. And it should be large enough 
so that when the enemy comes to us with his lies to intimidate us, saying, you're nothing, you're worthless, you're a failure. I don't know if anyone else has been tormented with that, but I come across many people who the devil has sold the lie, you're an absolute failure. But God wants us to be firm in his word, firm in his love, and say, like Jesus said, it is written. No, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves me. He works all things together for my good. He cares for me affectionately and watchfully about me. He is my protector. He is my vindicator. Do you know, it's so easy to jump in and try and vindicate oneself. And it's like one, um, you kind of get beaten up, really, uh, certainly in the spiritual sense, when you try to fight and vindicate yourself. Leave it to God. He will vindicate you, and so amazingly that he'll take your breath away. And if you say, he will never leave me or abandon me or forsake me. I've come across many people who have felt rejected and abandoned and forsaken. But when they put their trust in God, their heart gets healed because they know he'll never abandon them, never leave them, never forsake them. And say, I am altogether beautiful. Yes, it's kosher to say, I am beautiful. You are. God never made anything ugly. You are beautiful and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are amazing. And so he's also called you to speak the word of God over your family and over this nation. You have a work for God to do, but you need to know the word of God. You see, it's supernatural. The, the word of God has a supernatural power within it to bring itself to pass. And when you speak the word of God, it's like God speaking it and it comes to pass. Believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth, and you will be saved. You will see saving. Salvation is a big, big, big word, which includes healing, prosperity, everything that you could possibly need. And you see, when we read the word of God, when we meditate on it, it gets inside of you, and it reaches area inside of you that no man can reach. Um, I, I think I've probably given this illustration before, but there used to be an illustration about uh, a beer. It reaches the parts that other beers cannot reach. Well, the word of God can reach those areas, hurting areas, those areas of concern, those areas of fear that no one and nothing else on this earth can, can reach. And so when you read the Bible, remember this, when you read the Bible, something very supernatural happens. You see, the word of God is a light to your path. If you are confused, if you don't know what to do, as you open the scriptures, say, Lord, lead me to the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit will highlight them to you. And you will have a word from God. Um, I know this for my own fact because my parents had a big business problem. This is years and years ago. And I remember reading Proverbs. And um, I was actually reading it in the Living Bible and it said um, kind of uh, to, to get an expert to speak in your behalf. And I went to my parents and I said, I believe the Lord has spoken. We need to get an expert to go over this property and speak in our behalf. And you know, that was the nub. That's what actually gave victory in um, this whole thing. 
And so you see, God will give you wisdom and it will give you strength. As you read the scriptures, you will find God's supernatural strength coming into you. You may not feel goose pimps and, and goose bumps and, and ooey gooey. Sometimes you can feel very dry when you read the word of God, but you are a man and a woman of faith. And you read it believing and knowing that this is the supernatural God-breathed word. And the very essence of God is in his words. And as you read them, you take them in through the eye gate, ear gate, and you speak them out. It will absolutely change your life. It's health to all your flesh. If you need healing, then read the healing scriptures. Proverbs 4.23 tells us that it's healing to all our flesh, all our flesh. There's no part of you that the healing power of God cannot reach and wants to reach. And it gives you wisdom, which is what I, was, I, I demonstrated in my parents' situation. God gave us wisdom through his written word. And um, in Timothy, it tells us, not only is the word God breathed, but it teaches us. Um, it's, it's our tutor. It corrects us. Do you know when God corrects us, oh, what blessedness. Um, the other day, um, I was actually searching for Ephesians, but my eye just dropped on a chapter in Matthew, and Jesus said, uh, be not anxious for your life. And then the other, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things shall be added unto you. And the note there um, underneath it, um, in my particular Bible said, God's covenant faithfulness. And do you know, I needed that for that very day because bad news reached me, but immediately those scriptures rose up in me that my father was taking care of it. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. We want to let God, God's word work in us and he, he will train us and prepare us to do a mighty work for him and with him. Next time you meet, I want to share with you some practical steps on how to eat the word of God, as I was saying about the, the, um, the cereal. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me for not valuing your word as I should. Please impart to me a hunger and thirst for your word. Please open the eyes of my heart to understand your goodness, your promises, your mighty power in my behalf. In Jesus' name. Amen.